Hello and welcome to Seeing Red, a true crime podcast. I'm Mark. And I'm Bethan, and thanks for joining us once again, guys. Yeah, thank you for coming back. We are in episode two of season seven. Can you believe we're actually on season seven? It's so weird, isn't it? I can't. It's just incredible. So uh, we have rather a lot of Patreon thank yous to do before we start the show. Uh, So I'm going to hand over to Bethan to do those this week. I'm so excited. So thank you very much. And a huge thank you to our new patrons who are Jessica Roach, Joe McLaren, Jill Hanna, Paula Brabs, Sarah Moore, Sean Rolls, Siobhan Williams, Anna Kelly, Edna Beardmore, Luke Hand, Sharon Chegar, Lauren Morehouse, Loz, Zoe Smith, Laura Barkley, Jem Smith, Rachel Smethurst, and to the following people who have increased their pledge, Louise Ingram, Mal Whitfield and Victoria Burton. So thank you so much, everybody. Really appreciate it. Yeah, massive thank you to each and every one of you and of course to all of our existing Patreon supporters. We are in the process of revamping our Patreon offering and we are going to be launching a brand new fortnightly Patreon exclusive podcast later this month called Crime Wave in which we talk about topical true crime news stories making the news and we just cannot wait, can we? We are so excited for this. Um, Not going to lie, it was totally Mark's idea. I'm not going to take any credit for the idea. However, I'm so on board and I think it's wonderful. And I'm really excited to kind of have a good natter about some stuff. That's what I like. I think it'll be really good fun. Yeah, I think it's going to be quite a conversational podcast. It's very informal. We're going to pick two or three big true crime stories making the news uh, that week and then talk about our feelings around them. So um, it's something we've, well, it's something I've been thinking about for a long time. And I think it's something that harks back to when we worked together and we would talk about different crimes uh, that were topical. So I'm really excited about it. And we'll, uh, in a couple of weeks time, we'll, we'll release a lot more information about that and also the other the changes that uh, we're making over on Patreon because we really want to ensure that if you do go over there to sign up and support the show and support us, we want to ensure that you're getting value for money. Yeah, and I think what you said about it being similar to when we used to work together, I think that's so true. I think that's one of the things that we kind of miss about not working together anymore, isn't it? So there's not much I miss about working with you, but one of them is that. <laughs> that's fair enough. But yeah, we'd spend whole uh afternoons if it was quiet talking about different crimes and yeah i just absolutely loved it and it's kind of what started this show so it's a spin-off it's going to be a spin-off of seeing red but uh yeah more conversational and um yeah very very much looking forward to recording our first episode in about a week's time two weeks time um okie doke so this week's episode follows on rather nicely i thought from last week's episode and once again it represents a departure for us because we are going to be moving away from the violence that tends to dominate this show don't worry normal service will i am sure resume next week but we're going to be moving away from the violence to take a deep dive into the world of the rich and famous as we discuss the biggest burglary in English criminal history. I love that. This sounds exciting. This sounds very exciting. This is. Honestly, it's like something out of a Hollywood film, uh, this one. And I say burglary, but actually it's plural. The gang at the centre of today's case were actually responsible for not one, but three burglaries in which they targeted the homes of London's glitterati. And this really was an audacious crime spree that saw the thieves walk away with a total of £26 million in jewellery and cash in the space of just 13 days. That is crazy, just 13 days. £26 million worth of jewellery and cash. It's just unbelievable. £26 million. Mm. I know. Tamara Eccleston was born in Milan in June 1984, the second daughter of billionaire business magnate Bernie Eccleston, the former chief executive of the Formula One group, and Croatian model Slavika Radic. Together with her older sister Petra, Tamara wanted for nothing growing up, in a material sense at least. She enjoyed an expensive education, she travelled the world on private jets, and even as a child she mixed with high society. 
In adulthood, Tamara established herself on the London party scene and was regularly featured in the tabloid press, which branded her an it girl, which I think is a phrase that we don't hear now, but was really common back in the noughties. And I oh think my God, it that, was. I haven't it? heard it in ages, it girl. Yeah. I think we say socialite instead now. I think that's oh. the term that we use. Do you? Do you know what? I hadn't even remembered the phrase it girl, but now you've said it. Yeah, I think socialite or maybe like influencer. Oh, yeah, I didn't think of that. I suppose mm, maybe... Although influencer can be anybody, can't they, really? Um, uh, yeah, I suppose so. I think, but... yeah, socialite. Yeah. So, and you, you'll you have heard of Ghislaine Maxwell being referred to as a socialite, but back in the noughties and the nineties, she may well have been referred to as a bit of an it girl then. Um, and I'm going to... When you say it girl, I think of... Um, do you remember when Kim Kardashian was friends with Paris Hilton? And yeah. they'd hang around and do stuff, and Katie Price was quite, like, unknown and things, and... I don't know, like it, it kind of reminds me of like a different era. Yeah, I remember that. That when celebrity was really uh, up and coming, it wasn't about talent, it was about profile. Um, yeah. And that's the world we live in now, isn't it? So I'm going to continue uh, referring to Tamara as an it girl uh, because that's my era. So as well as being an it girl, Tamara dipped her toe into the world of modelling and she posed for Playboy in 2013. And she also briefly worked as a TV presenter and she had multiple business interests as well. She also had her own reality TV series, Tamara Eccleston Billion Dollar Girl, which aired in 2011, and she later went on to star in another reality show entitled Tamara's World, and that one aired in 2017. And I remember watching both of these shows because I love a glimpse into that. Uh, impenetrable world of the rich and famous and um, to be fair though I have to say despite Tamara's incredible wealth she did actually come across as being pretty normal if a little ditzy. Oh that's quite nice then because sometimes they can come across really badly and it can paint them in a really bad light so for her to actually come across as as pretty nice and a bit ditzy but normal. Yeah. That's lovely. And I, I say ditzy but she was probably playing a bit of a persona, playing up to the cameras perhaps. Um, And to be fair, in Tamara Eccleston Billion Dollar Girl, which aired um, just over 10 years ago now, uh, to be fair, she's in her sort of mid to late 20s at this point, and you do see a bit more of uh, um, an extreme version of Tamara. She's leading this very extravagant lifestyle, holidaying on a massive yacht at one point with her then boyfriend, and organising these sort of huge charity benefits. Uh, and, and sort of, I think there was one scene where she's donating all of her sort of couture wardrobe uh, to help different charities, which is admirable, but it, it, a little bit out of touch perhaps. Um, however, in Tamara's World, which aired six years later, you definitely see a more pared down version of Tamara. She's much more down to earth. She's a mum to a three-year-old daughter, Sophia, at this point, And she's living happily with husband, Jay Rutland, who she's still with now. Um, and that was in 2017. So Tamara and Jay would then go on to have another daughter, Serena, who I think was born in 2020. In more recent years, Tamara and her family have stepped away from the limelight. She still continues with her philanthropic work, but she no longer chases the kind of celebrity that she enjoyed previously. Her and Jay are both on Instagram. They have an open profile each and hundreds of thousands of followers. So, and you know, I'd encourage you to, to check their profiles out because it's fascinating to have a glimpse into their world. So yeah, they've, they've got these, uh, public Instagram accounts but that's kind of it they don't do reality television anymore um it's it's probably more of a private life uh, than it was and i i suppose i just wanted to go into a bit of detail there and provide some of my beloved context because we will go on to hear about the daring raid on Tamara and Jay's home and i know it's all too easy for us me in particular to think of burglary as a victimless crime but Tamara is absolutely a victim here and so too is her family and the burglary would go on to have disturbing consequences for all of them um so yeah i i just wanted you to know a little bit more about her before we come on to discuss this audacious heist which really is at the centre of this trio of burglaries because the robbers got away with 25 million pounds worth of cash and property when they raided her home. And I think that's a really fair point to make because um, if we think back to for example Kim Kardashian when she was robbed in Paris the media 
very much victim blamed and said well why was she carrying this much jewelry she's got a lot of money and she likes a lot of fancy jewelry that's her prerogative it doesn't mean that she has the right to be robbed and then people would be laughing about it in the comments and joking I don't know her don't particularly care about her I'm not you know I don't care either way about her it's still horrific that she was robbed no matter what your opinion is of her or why she's famous so it is but it is easy and I think it's easy especially nowadays when you feel like you know these people's lives because they're on Instagram or you've seen them on the telly or even to just hear well they've got loads of money so well doesn't you know drop in the ocean for them it doesn't matter what is still an intrusion on their life it's still a personal attack yeah they're they're still real people they experience the same emotions as us and I think that's what I was trying to get across when I talked about uh, the way Tara Tamara came across in uh, her reality shows um, as pretty down to earth she she is just like the rest of us if you strip back all of that wealth and the possessions there is a human being there who feels the same stuff we feel who goes through the same kind of shit that we go through um, they are not immune to all of this happening and I was I was tempted to cover Kim Kardashian's uh, robbery and uh, if anything I would say that was perhaps a little bit worse because she she was held at gunpoint I think yeah as they robbed and they her. were attacked weren't they yeah but she, I remember you're right she was very much blamed in the aftermath of that for parading her jewelry on Instagram and I suppose the same could perhaps be said for Tamara but um, that's just the life they lead and we all put stuff on Instagram so I don't know. It's, um, you know, nobody deserves this. And I know I was being a bit flippant there. And I'm not being like a woke little bitch. And I'm not apologising for what I've said in the past. And we talked a bit about it last week. Um, I said, oh, it's completely victimless crime, a robbery. Um, I suppose what I'm trying to get across is that we and you, our listener, um, anyone that has a real fascination with true crime has a lot of perspective on crime. And basically anything that doesn't involve violence is generally considered by us to be pretty tame, I would say. So that that was more the point that I was making, not that it's victimless, not that it doesn't have an impact, but actually generally with a robbery or a burglary, violence doesn't tend to be involved. And that's something to be celebrated really yeah no I can and I completely agree because it's it would be a lot scarier if you're attacked and robbed or you're robbed at gunpoint for example and the threat of violence is there or you're injured in that but it it is still it that's why we're covering these cases because they are still crimes you know yeah of course last week's case nobody was injured but that artwork is still missing and that still has an impact psychologically on people the fact that it's still being investigated that takes up resources and mm. money and yeah it, it is I think it's um a good thing to kind of have a bit of a step back and look at some other things because I always like when Adam covers like a corruption in, within industry or, mm. or corporations and stuff because it can be easy to kind of go oh it's not that bad because it didn't happen to a sweet old little lady yeah. No, it's still it's still a crime. And I'm actually going to finish this episode with uh, some extracts from the victim impact statements, which will really hammer home the impact that uh, these burglaries had on Tamara and her family, but also uh, the other two burglaries that we'll come on to discuss. But first, we're going to start with Tamara's. On Friday the 13th of December in 2019, Tamara, husband Jay and five-year-old daughter Sophia flew by private jet to Lapland for a festive trip to see Santa. With Christmas just days away, it would have been an exciting time for the whole family and I have no doubt that little Sophia would have been bursting with anticipation as she boarded that jet bound for Norway. What a lovely childhood for that child. That's oh, absolutely, incredible. absolutely, yeah. The family were due to be in Norway for a few days and as they landed, I'm sure they would have been looking forward to filling their boots with festive cheer. Back home, outside their 55-room, £70 million mansion, just a stone's throw from Kensington Palace, a gang of criminal masterminds were preparing to pull off the most audacious burglary this country has ever seen. 
And I say audacious for two reasons. Firstly, because of the value of the haul the thieves got away with. But secondly, because of the location of the house and the security which surrounds it, it really is unparalleled. The Eccleston's mansion is situated on a private road which is surrounded by extremely high value properties, including a number of foreign embassies. And the road itself is controlled by security gates which are guarded by armed and unarmed police. Oh my God, wow. So even the road is the, even the road is you know well the, the gated the, the road is gated and those gates are patrolled Goodness. by police some of them are armed and the road itself is patrolled by diplomatic protection group police officers I presume because of the number of embassies uh, yeah, wow in, on that road and in addition you'd expect to be safe in this place if you bought oh a house my God. There, you? of course you would and I, th- I guess um, that was the whole point of them buying a house on that road because it in theory should be one of the safest roads in the whole country and not only would Tamara and Jay have a lot of valuables in their home uh, they they are also I suppose at risk of kidnap uh, mm-hmm. I, I'm pretty sure yeah. that um, there, w- there was some kind of scandal or uh, some kind of crime where uh, her father's wife's relative was kidnapped to ransom and held to ransom recently. So, you know, Tamara, Jay, their children, we have to be honest, they are uh, at risk of being kidnapped uh, for a ransom. So, yeah, they would have picked that road quite deliberately, I'm sure, not just because it, it's full of beautiful houses, but because it's so safe. Um, so not only did uh, do they have all of this, uh, this kind of protection on the, the street, uh, the Eccleston's had a sophisticated alarm system, a retinue of domestic staff at home, and also their own private security guards patrolling their home and manning a CCTV control room. And while I've not been able to look at the house on Street View, obviously it's not on that. I have seen photos in the papers and I've looked at the road that their road is off of, if that makes sense. And you can see the gates at the entrance to their road. And it is honestly like Fort Knox. It's like nothing you've ever seen before. So I'm not going to say exactly where the house is or the name of the road that it's situated on, but if you really are interested and you want to find out a little bit more, the press did report those details. They had no problem in in doing that. Um, Of course they didn't. They don't seem to have a problem with reporting a lot of stuff. Um, In this scenario, I do kind of understand it because the road and Tamara and Jay's house is so heavily fortified and guarded, well, perhaps not quite enough, as we'll go on to find out, but it, it's um it's perhaps akin to knowing where the Queen lives. So we know yeah, the Queen's address. So, or, yeah, it doesn't or matter. Or 10 Downing Street. You can walk past the road. You just can't get into the road. Exactly. And... So it doesn't matter that we know where the Prime Minister lives because we can't really get to him. Uh, so I would say it's maybe it's the same kind of vibe. So, Bethan, you inspired me last week um, with how you told your story at the beginning. And I'm not I'm not going to get you to imagine yourself as an involved party in this heist. But I am going to, in a blast from the past, take you there in real time. Do you know what, though? Your real time in descriptions is what inspired me. So, God, why don't we just fuck each other and get it over and done with? Um, <laughs> right. So this is only a bit of brief real time description. It's Friday the 13th of December 2019. The air is cold and thick with the kind of dark energy that permeates the ether before something bad is about to happen. Three men are stood outside the rear perimeter of the Equiston's mansion, brimming with nervous energy at what they are about to attempt to pull off. At the end of the road, one of their accomplices stands guard. Back at the house, the trio of burglars make their way into the Equiston's garden. There is no security in sight and the men skillfully bypass the CCTV cameras which surround the property. The three men make their way into the house and as they step onto the plush carpet they are immediately hit by the warm, expensively fragranced air which permeates the opulent surroundings of the Eccleston's palatial home and marks a striking contrast to the cold winter air they have left behind. Oh, I loved that and I can imagine how good that house I knew well. you'd love that and it would it would mm-hmm. be like a, a, you know like a five star hotel lobby where they pump really expensive fragrance through the air I think it would be like that so I've used some dramatic license but I would bet a pound to a penny that their house smells beautiful so I was happy to take a punt mm-hmm. on that 
Once inside, the men make their way to the Eccleston's boutique-style jewellery rooms. You'll have to bear with me on this. I will explain exactly what they are later. These rooms house a number of heavily fortified cabinets containing Tamara's collection of luxury Hermes and Chanel handbags, as well as pretty much all of her jewellery. Over the next 50 minutes, the gang methodically break into the cabinets and pillage their contents. Once they're done, they exit as quickly as they arrived and disappear into the night with £25 million worth of property from the Ecclestons' home. So, we left the gang disappearing into the night with their haul, and what a haul it was. Are you ready for this? I'm excited for this. I knew you would be. I've not got a full list of what they stole, but a little flavour for you. So, they stole, in 50 uninterrupted minutes, more than 400 items of jewellery, including a £300,000 pair of 18-carat diamond earrings, an £80,000 Cartier bangle, which I've actually seen on Tamara, and it basically looks... It's stunning. It basically looks like one massive fucking diamond. £2 million worth of watches belonging to Tamara and £400,000 worth of watches belonging to Jay. They also stole one hundred twenty-five grand in cash, 200000 Hong Kong dollars worth approximately twenty grand, and uh, some designer bags and other trinkets, many of which actually were of significant sentimental value to the Ecclestons and basically irreplaceable. That is absolutely crazy. I can't even imagine owning something that's worth three hundred million pounds, let alone how you would feel to have that taken. Oh, um, yeah. So straight away, I was kind of like, "Oh, that's crazy." But actually, yeah, some of these trinkets. Yes, it might be something totally unattainable to me because I wouldn't go to the sort of places where you could pick up a gift like that. But actually, if Jay had bought it for her for Valentine's Day, it's going to mean something sentimental. Yeah. Or they bought for each other, or they had it handed down in the generations i don't know it's just yeah it'd be really sad and you you just can't replace that kind of stuff and um what i find amazing is that in just 50 minutes they have managed to smash into all of these cabinets and take over 400 pieces of jewelry and these um sort of boutique style jewelry rooms that i mentioned earlier and said i'd explain a little bit more about what they are i think they are sort of like you know how a a really nice department store like harrods would have uh, different uh, sort of stalls with those lovely glass cabinets with all the expensive jewelry in i think these sort of boutique style jewelry rooms were literally just that they were like shops basically they looked like a shop and she would have all of her like hermes birkin bags displayed and lit beautifully and displayed behind glass and so you would have well yeah because you'd need them stored properly as well because you couldn't just stick them in a box under your bed like i do with my handbags because they're going to damage the leather or the materials and they need to be in the right temperatures and dust free and all sorts yeah it makes sense that you'd need to have a showroom that was even if you're not necessarily showing it off for people yeah, I th- that's it. Yeah, I think that's probably the best way to explain it, almost like a showroom, um, but a functional one because she she would obviously um, use the items in those showrooms on a probably on a regular basis. But it was a truly breathtaking bounty. So not only did the robbers manage to break into these fortified cabinets containing the handbags and the jewellery, they also managed to crack open safes in the master bedroom suite as they spent getting on for an hour in this vast house, um, which is mad. They They were there for nearly an hour. And actually, the vastness of this mansion was kind of the downfall for the Ecclestons here. Their house was so huge that the security guards on site didn't hear anything or even realise that a burglary was taking place until the very last minute. So I said it was 50 uninterrupted minutes that the gang spent in this house, but actually it was 49 uh, uninterrupted minutes because one of the guards did see them on CCTV. And it's not very clear actually at this point uh, what really happened, but this guard phoned another guard who just so happened to have popped out to Tesco. Oh my God, what is the luck? What are the chances of that? (gasps) That guard came racing back to the house and then I don't know whether both guards went to attempt to apprehend the burglars or just the first guard did. But the long and short of it is that they managed to um, get away and so did their lookout. So they escaped into the night without being apprehended. Wow, I suppose that makes sense though. If the house is that big, you're not... I can hear, if I'm in any room of my house, I can hear the rest of my house. But Mm. that's because my house is normal. Um, You're in a big, big place like this. And actually, you'd want 
not necessarily soundproofed, but you'd want good thick walls and good well done doors so that actually you don't hear anybody in the other rooms because I mean you don't want to hear your staff do you crikey no no and it's uh, it's going to have very thick carpets very heavy mm-hmm. doors um it's going to be expensively furnished lavishly furnished so there's a lot of stuff to absorb the sound and there are yeah. 55 rooms in this mansion you can't possibly have a guard stood on around every corner outside every room that's just ridiculous so um so yeah it's uh, it's just it, It'd be like a, a department store, basically, this house, isn't it? It's so vast. It is. It just, it boggles my mind that they came in through the back and that that wasn't a little bit more secure. That's kind of my I, only thinking. Yeah. I can understand how this guard and the guard that popped Tesco's, how that all happened. But even getting in, th- I'm, I know they bypassed the security, so fair enough, That that's why. But it does interest me that there isn't someone almost like stood in the garden. Yeah. But yeah, how big like, is the garden? I, I guess I'm thinking of a normal person's garden. So Yeah. I really looked for information on how the burglars actually got into the garden and then into the rear of the property and I couldn't find anything, which is fair enough. There might be reporting restrictions on it. But um, yeah, it's. I just had to kind of say basically, yeah, they get into the garden and then they get, get into the rear of the property and maybe it was that simple. Uh, and of course, the Equestons have increased their security since this happened, but um, maybe it was that simple at that point. Um, you may also at this point be wondering about the alarm system at the Equestons' home. Well, it's complex with these kinds of houses. The alarm was off because there were security guards patrolling the house and also there were various administrative tasks that the guards had to perform like taking deliveries in for the family so all of that wouldn't have been possible if the alarms were switched on and also why would you have alarms on when you've got security guards and staff in the house you can't turn the alarms on because they're going to constantly Mm, be triggering them Yeah. yeah i get it As I said at the beginning of today's episode, this was a trio of burglaries for the gang and their raid on the Eccleston's mansion was their final jewel in the crown. In the 12 days preceding their pièce de résistance, they had pulled off burglaries at the homes of former Chelsea and England footballer Frank Lampard and his TV presenter wife Christine and Vichai Shrivadanaprava, the former chairman of Leicester City Football Club, who very tragically 12 months earlier had died in a helicopter crash at Leicester City Stadium. Which I you, knew you, I knew that name yeah, from I, I somewhere and... I'm I not thought a I bet you'd remember. Fan, but yeah, wow, I remember that happening. That was so awful. It was awful. He was a billionaire businessman and um I think the game had just ended and his helicopter was taking off and uh yeah, it, it crashed in straight away uh, as soon as it had gone up in the air and crashed in the stadium and very sadly he died. Um absolute tragedy, absolute tragedy and a huge news story here at the time. The gang's first target, some 12 days before their daring raid on the Eccleston's mansion, was the home of Frank and Christine Lampard. Shortly before 7.15pm on the evening of Sunday, December 1st, 2019, a young man rang the doorbell of their £12 million West London townhouse. With no answer, the man and an accomplice made their way to a nearby street, where they were able to enter the Lampard's rear garden. From here, they broke into the rear of the house and ransacked valuables totalling £60,000. The thieves clearly knew what they were looking for as they targeted high-value items, uh, only a few high-value items, uh, including Christine's £36,000 Patek Philippe Nautilus Rose Gold watch and a clock and a pair of cufflinks. So they ve- that was the first burglary and they did start quite small there. Total of £60,000 in value and just a handful of items uh, they took. It's mad, isn't it, when you think like that's low value, but actually when you think about the final, it is, it really is low compared. Um, So I wonder were they kind of, did they know that they wouldn't get as much from their home or was it that they were testing the waters a little of how well they could get away with stuff? I personally think they got into the Eccleston home and couldn't believe what they discovered. Mm -hmm. I, I honestly think they got there and just were stunned to see the, you know, over 400 items of, of jewellery, uh, perhaps. Maybe they knew, maybe they had some some knowledge of it somehow. 
Nine days later, on the 10th of December, the two men, now joined by two more accomplices, turned their attention to the Knightsbridge property belonging to the estate of Vichai Srivadanaprava, uh, which had been turned into a shrine by his family following his death. And I think Vichai was um, staying at his Knightsbridge home uh, in the sort of days leading up to his helicopter crash. So he had been there just hours before he died. And his family said they felt closest to his spirit at that house because he had been there just hours before he died. Um, So, yeah, it had been turned into a shrine for him, which makes this even more sad. Having checked nobody was in at the property, the gang broke into the house through the patio windows and managed to break open one of the safes inside the property. They left with a million pounds worth of cash and jewellery, including more Patek Philippe watches, as well as £360,000 worth of euros. So interestingly, the MO is the same on every burglary, right from the outset, right to the end. They are entering through the garden, the rear garden, into the rear of the property, and they're in. And it Mm. appears that 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 was pretty easy for them to do that. And I'm sure all of these properties have enhanced their security since then. But it's very interesting, isn't it? You would think the homes of the rich and famous would be so heavily fortified that it would be impossible to get into them. Yeah, this is it. Maybe um, psychologically we think of fortifying the front more than the back potentially because we think, well, they've got to get across the big garden. They'll be picked up by the security lights or cameras or something. And actually, no, if they can sneak enough, maybe that's why. Yeah, they fucking smash the back doors in of these three properties. They have indeed. I'm not gonna. I'm not even gonna giggle to give you satisfaction with that one. I knew it. So, um, so the raid on Vichai Srivadanaprava's home on the 10th of December, um, that was the second burglary. Three days later, and the gang stood outside the Eccleston's mansion, ready to complete burglary number three, which brings us full circle now. So in this 13-day crime spree, the gang had gotten into three homes belonging to the rich and famous and stolen valuables and cash totalling £26 million, and then they disappeared into thin air. But the gang weren't quite as clever as they thought they were. During the raid on Frank and Christine's home, the robbers activated an alarm and had to flee out of the back door as police arrived at the front. And as they scaled a wall at the rear of the property, one of them cut himself on glass embedded on the top of a wall and he left DNA behind. What an idiot. Don't leave your DNA at a crime scene. But then they probably weren't expecting there to be shards of glass on embedded in the top of the wall. Yeah. Um, and this, this wasn't their only mistake, as we'll go on to see. The day after robbing the home of the late Vichai Srivadanaprava, the gang dined at the exclusive Japanese restaurant Zuma in Knightsbridge. Oh, very nice. I've never been, but I'd love to go. And that is that was just around the corner from Vichai's home, which they'd robbed like the day before. So uh, can you imagine the audacity, the temerity of that to be um, spending his money Mm -hmm. uh, just around the corner the next day? Obviously not bothered about. uh, They they didn't think they were going to get caught. Um, So here at Zuma in Knightsbridge, the exclusive Japanese restaurant, they gorged themselves on sushi and quaffed Cristal Champagne and Pouligny Montrachet wine, no doubt toasting their success and perhaps even putting the final touches to their plans to rob the Ecclestons home in two days time. Members of the gang are also known to have visited Harrods in the days following their trio of burglaries, with one member attempting to spend nearly £9,000 in cash on Louis Vuitton clothing. And this transaction was rejected by the store, which I thought was really interesting because not many people will know this, but it's not just banks and building societies and other financial institutions that have to safeguard against money laundering. Regular stores must also ensure that they are not accepting cash that's been obtained illegally and I might be wrong it might be that Harrods said they couldn't accept the payment in cash for another reason but I reckon it was to do with anti-money laundering regulations which I I thought was fascinating yeah definitely especially with our background it's interesting to know that that's the case for shops but it makes perfect sense that it would be the case yeah interesting for us probably not so much for anybody that hasn't worked in in our industry. So yeah. uh, five days after the gang's raid on the Eccleston's home, they left the country with their gargantuan haul. But they didn't get away with it. 
Following the break-ins, a team of Scotland Yard detectives worked around the clock to track the burglars down. And I think it was actually the Flying Squad that led the investigation uh, into, into finding them. I know they're amazing. Um, so the detectives analysed hundreds of hours of CCTV footage and noticed that the gang had scarpered from the Equestons mansion in a black cab. They couldn't see the licence plate on the CCTV footage, but they didn't give up that easily. They traced over a thousand black cabs which had been active in the area at the time. And finally, and so frustratingly, because I think it was on cab number 1004 out of 1007. Oh my they got, God. Honestly, How annoying yeah, they if got, I need to start the list the other way. Oh, well, wouldn't, I suppose, wouldn't you have someone start the list at the end and the beginning? I don't know. Maybe I would do that. But then you would probably find that it's in the middle. I don't know. So, uh, so yeah, uh, 1,004 out of 1,007, they got the cab they were looking for. And although the gang had changed into numerous black cabs as they made their way out of London, uh, detectives were able to trace the gang all the way back to their apartment in Orpington in Kent. That's amazing that they were able to trace them all that way. Yeah, yeah, really like foot by foot, mile by mile in all these different cabs, uh, which is amazing. Amazing detective work. And it took, took uh, you know, many, many hundreds of hours. And um, at this apartment, so police turned up at this apartment in Kent. And of course, the gang had scarpered, but they had left behind two of their burner phones. And um, that was really a, a starting point for the investigation. But disappointingly, the trail went cold at this point. So they couldn't really locate the gang but police became convinced when they looked through the burner phones that the four strong team of burglars had not acted alone. And in fact, the first arrests they made were of four Romanians whom detectives believed were responsible for planning accommodation, transport uh, and communication for the main gang. So they hadn't committed the burglaries, but they had been the kind of like admin bitches um, for them, if that makes sense. So these four Romanians were Alexandru Stan, who was 49, Maria Mester, who was 48, Sorin Markovici, who was 53, and Emil Bogdan Savastru, who was 30 and the son of Maria Mester. It was claimed that Alexandru Stan assisted with logistics for the Lampard burglary, even lending a pair of trousers to the burglar who cut his leg as he escaped. That's quite a fun little note of information. I quite enjoy that. Maria Mester was said by detectives to have assumed the role of matriarch, aided by her son, Emil Bogdan Savastru, and her childhood friend, Sorin Markovici. The four faced a number of charges, including conspiracy to burgle, with their case going to trial at Isleworth Crown Court last November. And the jury heard that when Maria Mester was arrested six weeks after the burglaries, this is amazing, she was wearing a pair of rose gold diamond drop earrings that once belonged to Tamara Houston. <laughs> oh my God, there's no getting around that. Did you rob her? No, we'll see. you're wearing her earrings. <laughs> But oh again, God. the audacity—the audacity of that—and she'd yeah. put, I think, she'd put um, these photos up because she'd also posted a photo on Facebook of herself at a New Year's Eve party wearing a stolen necklace, and it was one of only fifteen made, uh, and it was a, a necklace that had been purchased for Tamara by Jay. Uh, oh, Maria! So, yeah, I what know. Oh dear. So Maria's son, Emil, was caught with Tamara's Louis Vuitton bag and Frank Lampard's Tagger smartwatch as he attempted to leave the country. And under cross-examination, Maria Mester told jurors that she had merely been invited to London by one of the burglars to provide sex for him, believing he was a legitimate property developer. So Maria was very much a high-class escort, a high-class sex worker. And um, the next bit is really, uh, really made me laugh because in court, she quite brazenly described this guy who she believed to be a legitimate property developer, this guy who had paid her to fly over from Romania for sex for a week. She described him as, quote, a fat goose. And I think that's not... I love not, that phrase. I loved it. And I don't think it's alluding to his appearance. No. It's like, he, he's like a, the goose that lays a golden it egg. Is, he's golden a fat egg. goose. And yeah. do you know what? A little bit of me could believe her. I'd be I'd Completely be agree. having some doubts there with if I was on that jury because 
yeah, he would pay her and potentially would give her some earrings and stuff. Absolutely. Yeah, that's it. And that's what she said. So she said that he'd brought her over uh, for the week. He was paying her five grand for the week. And she said that the jewellery that she had on her had been given to her as a gift by him for as a bit like a tip for her escort services. And actually lawyers for all of the defendants claimed they were all unaware of the burglaries. And very interestingly... Following a two-month trial, all four of these uh, kind of alleged accomplices were cleared of conspiring to burgle these three houses. Interesting. Wow. I know. I was shocked. Um, but so they're, they're not guilty. Emil, who was or is Maria's son, was convicted of one count of attempting to conceal criminal property in relation to the bag and the watch that he had. And I guess for him, like his mom had a great excuse. She said, I'm, I'm a high class sex worker. These have been given to me by my client. I think her son didn't really have as good an excuse because he's got a woman's handbag and Frank Lampard's watch what's he going to say uh who's he going to say that he's got those from so um so yeah that was a little bit more difficult and he was convicted of yeah one count of attempting to conceal criminal property and um, he received a six-month prison sentence for that but he'd already served that on remand so um as soon as the verdict was read out he walked free from court his mother, who I personally think is a bit of a legend, uh, this Maria, um, she was sentenced to 10 months in jail for refusing to hand police a phone pin number. And she said that she declined to do so in order to protect her clients. And listen to this bit. Having also already served time on remand, she too walked straight out of court as straight into a chauffeur-driven Rolls Royce. Oh my gosh. And I can picture her just sauntering out of court, probably in a fur coat I knew, with big black shades on. I had a fur coat on, in my head. I don't know why. Dripping with jewellery, all of the media snapping their cameras and her just getting into the back of this massive Rolls Royce and fucking off out of there. So um, so bar these two minor offences, so the attempting to conceal criminal property, which was a meal. And that's to Maria's be honest, son. you can be done for that even if you have no awareness. If you have... If you should have had True. a good enough... Th- if you came to me and said to me, I've got you a gift, you can't tell anyone about it, keep it to yourself, but here's a £6 million watch, and I say, where did you get it from? Where did you buy it from? Where did you get the money from? And you're really shifty. I shouldn't keep that because I have no reason. I wasn't the burglar. I don't know that you're a burglar, but I still shouldn't keep it. I should still report that under suspicion. So it is tough, isn't it? Because... Or even if you buy something and you don't know it's stolen goods, but you've bought it, that can be seized and you can be done for handling stolen goods. So I kind of, yeah, he's perhaps not thought up a good enough excuse because he should have been smart enough to realise that. He should have really. And... um uh, you know, his mum was. So uh, so really, yeah, bar these two minor offences, we do have to uh, conclude that this gang, uh, so not the, the gang of burglars, this gang, the alleged accomplices, had nothing to do with the burglaries. Three of the actual burglars were ultimately identified and arrested in Italy uh, last year, and they were all Italian nationals. So they were Yugoslav Jovanovic, he was 24, Alessandro Maltese, who was 45 and nicknamed the Pink Panther, how original, uh, and 44-year-old Alessandro Donati. So Maltese and Donati, the older of this trio, were regarded uh, in the criminal underworld as jewellery experts, uh, like expert jewel thieves. Mm. I've probably not explained that No, I know well, exactly yeah. what you mean. So the criminal underworld kind of knew of them as expert yeah, thieves. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Wow. International jewel thieves, basically. And Yugoslav Jovanovic, uh, you know, he's a young guy. He's 24. And we'll talk a little bit more about him in a moment. So the head of the Milan flying squad said the men were identified by Italian police after Scotland Yard provided them with phone numbers and CCTV images of unidentified suspects. And Maltese and Donati were extradited to the UK. They appeared in court separately in April of last year. They both pleaded guilty to conspiracy to burgle and they both received a hefty prison sentence which is currently being served in Italy as per the extradition agreement. 
Yovanovitch, the 24-year-old, the third gang member, initially pled not guilty, but he sensationally admitted his part in laundering the proceeds of the heists moments before his trial was due to begin in October of last year. Oh, wow, I bet that was rather exciting. I can imagine witnessing that. But we were deprived of a trial, which would have Mm -hmm. been fascinating, but probably best that he pled guilty. And reports in the Italian press claim that despite his young age, so he was just 24, he was believed to have been the mastermind of the raid, which I thought was fascinating. And a fourth alleged member of the gang, who was uh, Jovanovic's uncle, Daniel Vukovic, is believed to have fled to Serbia, where he's currently fighting extradition to the UK. So that's that was the fourth and final alleged member of this gang. A number of the gang members are said to have had links to a notorious Roma gypsy camp near Milan called Monte Bispino, and it's there, the Italian press have speculated, in one of the camp's notorious factories that the gold items stolen in London could have been smelted down, making them impossible to trace, because pretty much none of the property has been recovered to this day, bar these bits and pieces. Yeah, I mean, obviously, they've had the bits and pieces that Maria was kind of, you know, uh, wearing uh, in those photos on Facebook, and they got the Louis Vuitton bag, the Tagger watch from her son, but yeah. Nothing much else. Nothing much else, no. In sentencing, the judge told Maltese and Donati, the fact that each burglary was accomplished despite the precautions of the householders, that so much was stolen and then it is to be inferred removed from this country and not recovered, speaks to the overall organisation, planning and criminal determination, together with a willingness to take chances. You did so in the hope of substantial gain for yourselves, but regardless of the loss to those people, not only of objects of financial value, but of objects of deep personal significance and of the sense of safety and security that anyone is entitled to feel in their own home. And the judge said the gang had chosen their targets because of the celebrity of their occupiers, adding the distress caused by the burglary of a home of householders who may be well known or wealthy is no less than that caused to those in different circumstances, which is kind of what we said before. Mm-hmm. Just because you've got all this money, it doesn't mean you're immune from the awful feeling of violation when, when you burgled. No, absolutely not. Um, and actually, I just wanted to end, uh, as I said a while ago, by en- by reading some extracts from the victim impact statement so Tamara Eccleston said I'm so scared I will not leave my daughter alone in the house at night I feel like she's picking up my vibe a little bit now and now she also talks about thieves which is really very difficult and that's the worst part trying to pretend that nothing happened and trying to make her feel like the house is a safe space she went on to say in addition to the things that have been lost Some of them have made me very sad because it is things that my mum and dad gave me. I just didn't want to go back after the holidays. It was a strange feeling going back through the door and trying to retrace the steps with Jay. So I think she's referring to that holiday to Lapland. Uh, They, they of course, would have been notified whilst they were out there that there'd been a burglary. And can you imagine having to come back then uh, to go into the home that you'd left, feeling it was safe and and knowing that people have been in there? And, And she goes on to talk about that. She says, the fact that the thief were behind my daughter's playhouse in the backyard and all the things that related to her really scares me because on top of a lot of these fortified cabinets she had lovely photographs of Sophia and she said it it really just so disturbed her that these criminals had had seen those photos private photos and had touched them and moved them Mm. in order to get into the cabinets and that's such a simple thing but I really understand how how sort of depressing that would make you feel. Um, She said she is now obsessed with security, uh, with barbed wire and with barbed wire doors. And she was also thinking of moving into an apartment. And she said, it's not really how I want to live my life. Yeah, I can imagine not wanting to be in that house any longer. Absolutely, yeah. And Jay Rutland said in his statement, I feel a whole combination of emotions, anger that they have stolen from us, fear that they will return and sadness because the sentimental jewels that were gifts at our wedding and at the birth of our daughter were stolen and cannot be replaced. As my wife and I continue to support each other, it is incredibly difficult for me to see how much it has affected her and how nervous she has become, which is really sad. And I, I just want to I just want to race through the last couple of them because I know this episode is going on. Um, So Christine Lampard said in her victim impact statement, since this breaking at my home, I am much more afraid of being alone in my own home. I have a young daughter and I feel vulnerable in a home where I had always felt safe and happy before. 
Sometimes I have had trouble sleeping since the incident because I am sensitive to any outside noise for fear of another attack. Oh, and I've kind of saved I've saved the saddest till last. Oh, so Vichai Vichai Srivadana Prava's family said in a statement read in court, Our late father's residence was a place of reflection and prayer. We felt it was the strongest connection to him as he spent his last night there before his death. Since the theft, our sacred and special connection has been damaged and violated beyond repair. And oh, I feel for all of so the victims, sad. but particularly his family, um, it's it, it was a real violation to go into um, Vichai's home. I think you know, we've died said a that word before. a lot, though. I think we've said that throughout this episode, and it is. It's it's not just the physical. It's not just the monetary side. It is people in your home that is a violation of your privacy, your security, and your your you know, your safe place of sanctuary. And it is, it's a, It's a supposed to be a place of sanctuary where you feel safe. And Tamara also talked in her statement about uh, recently a time where she'd seen uh, a shadow of footprints in the house and it was actually Jay, but she didn't know that initially and she completely freaked out, understandably, thought somebody was in the house again. So it's a, it has really real lasting effects on all of these uh, people. It, it's, um, it's a terrible crime. Um, so thank you for listening. Uh, hopefully you found that really interesting don't forget to check out our show sponsor which is noom so that's n-o-o-m dot com slash seeing red and also um do have a look at patreon i I released a post on patreon last week uh that tells you about all of the different stuff that we have on offer over there and we're we're really conscious as we said about offering value for money so um there's going to be a lot there's going to be a full length uh bonus episode of seeing red going out on the last friday of every month we are going to be launching our full fortnightly podcast at the end of this month we are bringing back our book club our true crime book club which meets virtually every three months and we are also having blog posts every single month and quarterly competitions so there's loads going on now is the right time to have a look at it if you've been thinking about it and and you've not got around to it do take a a moment to head over to patreon.com slash seeing red podcast and see what it's all about we've got 350 people there enjoying those benefits well thank you for this week's episode because i think it was a really really interesting one and again a bit of a bit of a change of pace which i think we kind of needed um i'll do something really horrible for next week for you just to make it up to you please i can't wait would you say it was the fat goose of episodes oh yeah let's call it that not sure that it doesn't really work but i'm taking it Oh, I fucking love to be a fat goose. Yeah, that'd mean I'd have money. It so. would. Um, yeah. Anyway, so um, yeah, we will we will catch you next week for something probably more grim than the past two weeks have been. But we'll see you then. Bye. Bye. Bye.